0: Father, You have loved us through Your Son so incredibly. We owe our entire existence to Your Word. We ought to humbly submit ourselves to Him, to His every command, not begrudgingly, but because He is a benevolent Lord, a kind and generous lover. So please, God, Show us now how well Jesus has loved us and how it is our joy and our freedom to submit to his kind love. Amen. Since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage, says feminist Sheila Cronin. As she looks through history and sees women kept under men through her perspective, she vows to change that for future women by destroying marriage altogether. Similarly, Naomi Goldberg hears certain Bible, Bible verses and interprets them as oppressive to women seeing the Bible as a collection of rules designed by men to keep women down. She says, God, the father of the Judeo-Christian scripture, as the architect of patriarchal society, will have to go. We women are going to bring an end to God. What have these women experienced? What have they seen that they so vehemently reject What was designed by God to bring their greatest joy, an abundant life. What is it about the Bible and God's plan for marriage that has these passionate women so fired up? Well, one of those texts that they love to hate is the one we're looking at today. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Now, these three verses are actually part of a larger section, the rest of chapter 5, all about marriage and the relationship between a husband and a wife, and bleeds over into the next chapter, chapter 6, talking about uh, household order, all under this umbrella of what Jesus, or Jesus, Jake, not quite the same, (laughs) Jake taught us last week from the verses 18 to 21 about being filled with the Spirit. But particularly these three verses are what get so many people riled up. But I want to look together at them today and see how God's design was intended to cast a vision of hope and joy for our flourishing, not create such consternation in our hearts. So read with me Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and He Himself, is His Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Now surely when you read something like that, instantly dozens of questions are popping up in your head. What, is it, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean? In everything. What does the word submit really mean? What is head? What, how does that relationship work? And then how does it apply to my life? What does that change about the dynamic in my home? I hope to give you some perspective on some of those questions so that I can leave you feeling more satisfied, more encouraged in what God has planned for wives. But first, I want to humbly acknowledge what a difficult place I feel I'm in with this text. Part of the reason so many of the women balk at these verses is because they've experienced firsthand or they've seen firsthand people suffering, women suffering, under the authority of men. So they see Paul coming along and writing a nice letter from another man trying to keep women down. And then here I am, another man standing up front of all of you saying to 50% of the people in this room, here's what you should listen to. To many it will just sound like all I'm doing is perpetuating a system of oppression. But my intent is to do Exactly the opposite. To give you freedom in Christ. Now, I do admit I am a man. I have been male all my life. Something you might need to say more often these days. My understanding of what it feels like to be a woman in this world comes largely from being married to Molly for 11 years. And having three little girls. But admittedly, all of their communication with me, all of their experience is filtered through this tangled web of brain matter in my head in the form of masculinity. So despite that disadvantage, I still want to give you what, from the Word of God, the One who created male and female, what was designed for our joy. My intent is to build a case that the concept of submission is not oppressive, but is actually the glory of every single one of us. So the main idea here in these three verses is not that women are men's servants, that they're objects to be used for men's own ends. But Paul's main point is that wives model in a special way for all of us what is expected of the entire church. So looking at verse 22, we'll dig deeper into the attitude of submission. And then in verse 23, see the reason for submission the submission, and finally in verse 24, land on this main point of modeling submission for all of us. So let's begin with verse 22, this attitude of submission. I'll read the text again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Before we get anywhere, I think we just should deal with the obvious elephant in the room, that big fat word, Submit. Submit is practically a four-letter curse word in our culture. We're the land of the free, right? We don't submit to anyone here in America. 250 years ago, we cast off all those archaic authority structures, and since then, our society has evolved so much, where women and men can do the same thing in everything, right? So don't be telling people to submit. But as Jake showed us last week, Submission is a key indicator of a Spirit-filled life. If you're yielding to the Spirit in your life, naturally you're going to be yielding to people all over. And that's what Paul is explaining in the rest of chapter 5 here and in the first nine verses of chapter 6. He said in verse 21, Be a submitting type of people. And then he spends all these verses afterwards explaining the primary ways that we're most commonly going to be given opportunity to display our submission to Christ. Now the word submit specifically means to be placed in authority underneath someone else. So it's often used in a military context, speaking of a soldier who's under the authority of a commanding officer. In the New Testament... The word is also used to speak of demons who are subject to the apostles proclaiming Jesus' name. It also relates to our position under the law of God. We must submit to God's law. We're told to submit to government authorities. And ultimately, when Jesus returns, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, back in, uh, on Easter, when Jesus returns, all things are going to be subject to Christ. Willingly or unwillingly, by the end, everything will submit to Jesus as King. And we see here that idea at the end of this verse, where Paul says, as to the Lord. We know that we're all supposed to submit to Jesus as Lord, but what does that actually look like for us in our lives? If Jesus were here physically, we could approach Him and bow down to Him and say, You are glorious king. What would you have me do, Lord? But he's not here physically to ask him that, to go to him directly. So we need to look to Scripture to find out what is our posture, what is our attitude in certain areas of life to show that same type of submissive attitude to Christ. So Paul says that for wives, that first priority is to submit to their husbands. But by saying, as to the Lord, he's not saying, submit to your husband as he is your Lord. As though your husband is the supreme ruler of your life and you must obey every command given from your husband. What he's saying is that a wife submitting to her husband is the primary way which she shows her undying devotion to Christ. You can see a similar idea of our attitude towards other people reflecting an attitude towards Jesus in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. At the judgment, people are going to come to Jesus and say, and He's going to say to the goats, you're not My people. Be cast off. Get away from Me. You didn't come and visit Me when I was sick or when I was in prison? And they're going to say, when did... When were you sick? When, did we, when were we supposed to come visit you in prison? I don't understand. And Jesus responds, As you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. As you do to others, you do to Jesus himself. The point being, how we interact with other peoples reveals our attitude towards Christ. And submitting wives submitting to their husbands is the primary way that they reveal their attitude of submission to Jesus. Paul says here in verse 22 that a wife's attitude toward her husband reveals her attitude towards her Lord Jesus. But notice that it says wives to your own husbands. This text is not telling us what it looks like for all wives everywhere or all women everywhere to submit to all men everywhere. It's not all wives finding any husband in the room and saying, I'll do whatever you need. It's one wife to her own husband. And the verb here, the form of the verb submit, is, not, is what grammarians might call the middle form or reflexive form, saying, submit yourself. It's a voluntary attitude of the heart. It's not passive in which you are submitted, you are subjected, as though a husband can come along and say, submit, wife. Nobody, even outside the marriage relationship, can force this type of submission. Not the government, not the church, not our in laws. It's not simply a behavior that can be forced, where we begrudgingly follow along. But it's a voluntary attitude of the heart that reflects this peaceful trust in the Lord. Now, this is actually, surprisingly to us in our day, quite a revolutionary statement from Paul in the world he lived in. In the Roman context of Paul's day, a father actually had authority over his own daughter until the day he died. So even if she grew up and got her own home, even if she got married, the father still had authority. He could demand that that young girl divorce her husband and come back and live with him. She was always under the authority of her father. But Paul says... That's not the way God intended it. A man, should, a man and a woman should leave their parents and cleave to one another. The authority in a home lies in the relationship between husband and wife and their God, not husband and wife and her father. So this is a radically freeing proposal from Paul in his day. He's giving freedom to the wife to say, you can delight in the marriage with your husband, without any interference from anyone outside of you. Now Paul says, but there's still a relational order to consider. Even though you have all this freedom, there's something I want you to do with this freedom. And that's what he explains in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the body, and is himself its Savior. Paul explains here the reason why he commands a wife to submit to her husband. Because marriage mirrors the relationship between Christ, the head of His body, the church. A wife has an important job of modeling for the world what it looks like for us, the church, to look up and delight in Jesus, to call Him our fair Lord and receive all of His abundant good gifts. A wife can proclaim the Gospel to the world without speaking a word. Peter says in some cases, a wife can win their husbands to Christ without a word simply by their gentle behavior that models their love and devotion to Christ. So, Paul's command here really has nothing to do with equality between the sexes. And everything to do with the glorious work of God's redemption of His people, purchasing for Himself a bride called the church. Elsewhere, we can go to other places in Scripture and find that men and women are equally valuable in the sight of God, equally important to His work. Paul wrote himself in Galatians 3.28, there's no difference between male and female, Jew or Greek, slave or free in Christ. Genesis 1.27 said God made both male and female together to display His glorious image in this world. Especially scandalous in Paul's teaching was this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that a husband and a wife have mutual authority over each other's bodies for marital intimacy. Each partner has the authority over the other's body to say, I need satisfaction from you. That was unheard of in, in Paul's day. That a wife could demand from her husband intimacy. Paul is preaching left and right a radical new freedom for women that none had experienced before. But he says this freedom doesn't mean complete independence from God's relational order. This freedom is given in order to tell a story, to put on display a drama about redemption in Christ. And Paul reminds us this by saying, He Himself is its Savior. Meaning, the husband is not the wife's Savior. Jesus is the Savior of everyone in the church. This marriage thing is all about Jesus. It's not primarily about men and women, husbands and wives, but about God. So if you're married or hope to be married someday, you need to know that marriage isn't primarily about you, about getting your desires fulfilled, your needs met, or finding your soulmate. We're not talking about the role of every single woman and every single man in society or the church. Those things can be found in many other places in Scripture, how we relate. But here, in Ephesians 5, we're talking primarily about marriage and how it's this spectacular opportunity to display the glory of God in the love between a husband and a wife. So the phrase here, "He himself is its savior," is not saying that husbands are saviors of their wives, just like Christ is savior of the church. Paul's simply saying that the entire point of this relationship is to proclaim a story that Jesus is savior. In fact, if a wife devotes all of her attention to her husband, if she treats her husband as a Savior-type figure, it actually distorts the picture. Only Jesus in the sa- is your Savior. So, wives, your husband can't fulfill every one of your needs. He can't rescue you from every fear and failure. He can't cover all your guilt and shame. Jesus alone can do that. And marriage is just a picture to point us to Jesus. A wife could distract from her Savior by focusing all of her attention on her husband. Now that's not to say that the husband's role isn't unimportant and Jake will preach on that next time when we get back into Ephesians. The husband still does have a responsibility of provision and protection. He still needs to make sure his wife is kept safe, cherished, that her needs are met. But he has to do it in a way that he points, to her, or points her to Jesus as the ultimate Savior that she really needs. Now, verse 24 makes a bit of an adjustment to highlight this contrast between husband and Jesus. My ESV begins verse 24 with the word now. But most literally in Greek, it says it should be translated but. I'm not sure why the ESV, the good guys that the ESV translation committee chose now. But the word but really emphasizes something important here. Paul's saying, but as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to Jesus or their husbands in everything. The but here contrasts for us Jesus being the Savior. But husbands still have an important role as the head. This marriage thing is still really important to displaying something valuable, showing the church, setting an example for the church of what it looks like to submit in everything. You may think that the phrase in everything suddenly contradicts what I had just said about a husband not being a savior. How is a wife supposed to submit in everything to her husband, but a husband cannot possibly provide everything for his wife? Is Paul going crazy here? But the phrase, in everything, doesn't necessarily mean in every single detail of life, every word that comes out of your husband's mouth, do whatever he says. In everything is a general statement of saying every sphere of life Paul doesn't want us to compartmentalize our lives saying, here's the thing I'll submit and here's the thing I'll submit to and here's an area of life that I'll be willing to submit to but not here and not over here and not on this thing either because that could get really personal. He doesn't want any of that. The way Jesus rules over all the earth is displaying His Lordship over everything. And so by wives submitting to their husbands in every area of life, they say, they make the statement, Jesus has authority everywhere. We know that when it comes to specifics, there are times when we should reject human authorities. For example, Peter tells us in one of his letters that we should submit ourselves to all the governing authorities. But then, he himself, when he's preaching... The government authorities come to him and say, you've got to knock that off. No more teaching in Jesus' name. And he says, in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Though he admits we should submit to government authorities at this moment, that ain't happening. A husband does not have absolute authority. His authority comes under the umbrella of Jesus' authority. So if he leads in a sinful direction, or his sin puts a wife in danger. It is her right, her duty, to appeal to a higher authority, whether it's the police, or the church, or God above all, to intervene, to keep her safe. If a husband is demanding sinful behavior or putting you in danger by his sin, he's already broken terribly the picture of marriage reflecting Christ in his church. So, let others help you. Provide you safety while his sin can be confronted. Marriage is meant to be a picture displaying something greater than us. And if a husband, if you submit to a husband who is unrepentant in his sin, in abusing you, it just distorts the picture by enabling more sin and saying, We live under an abusive husband. Submission does not mean being trampled on, it does not mean. Being a doormat, it doesn't make you a slave or simply a passionless receptacle for your husband's pleasure. In fact, just like Jesus does for his church, proper headship works for your joy, your freedom, your growth, your flourishing and fruitfulness. That's not to say that every husband is going to be the best provider and protector in the world. It doesn't mean he's never going to sin but your submission can is, is at times when your husband is acting like a fool, your submission is actually for your own glory. When you submit, when you don't understand why, when your husband looks like a fool or is making a decision you don't understand, and you say, I don't understand, not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, you're actually saying that you are more Christ-like than he is. And it may be that gentle submission that leads him to repentance and faithful obedience. But there is a difference between a husband that usurps Christ's authority, that takes his ultimate authority upon himself and commands allegiance, and one of us who just trips up once in a while trying to honor Christ's authority. So assuming you might have a husband who's trying to be a decent man once in a while, I want to take a look now and muse a little bit about what, it, what the example of the church submitting to Christ means for us. How it informs for us a wife's submission to her husband. How do we apply this personally? So first just something for wives and then a final point for every single one of us. I like to think of submission as a really glorious opportunity. It's a positive thing, not something for us to be afraid of. I think of a submission as respect, receptive response. So we'll look at the book of Ephesians as we've gone through already, and we can see how Jesus' headship works for our good, right? In chapter 1, verse 22, He's the ruler over everything, but He's not, he's not a dictator That's out for himself. He's a benevolent ruler working for our good. He lays down a foundation in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, to build up this beautiful temple, this church. A foundation is beneath the ground. You don't see the foundation of a building. You see the glorious building raised upon that foundation. In chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, he says he works to fill his bride with love and joy. And in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he gives his bride good gifts for her flourishing, for her growth. So taking these metaphors from the book of Ephesians, I see a glorious opportunity to play this role of the church. There's a glorious dance of submission happening in marriage. Think of a really good part or couple that's really good at dancing. They have practiced over and over and refined their art so well that as they're dancing together, they look like one, one body. You can't tell where one ends and the other begins. Back and forth they move around. And you're just amazed at the beauty. But there's still a leader. The man is the leader and the woman responds, but it's in such a way that you can't tell how it's working. The leader, the man doesn't stand back and say, dance over there. Spin right there. Curtsy over there. Now come over here. How pathetic is that kind of dancing? That's not what God is calling wives to in marriage. In a good dance, you see the man leading by planting a foot here and raising his hand up here And she responds not by just mimicking him. His hand raised signals to her that she needs to move in another way. She begins to spin all the way around. Her dress flowing. Her hair spinning around her head. The sparkles shining all over her forehead. Right, Grace? Everyone's captivated by her beauty. Not by him standing there guiding her around. And that's the way submission works in our Marriages they are just supposed to work. That's the way Christ works for His church. By providing a solid foundation for us to grow on and be built upon. So hopefully we can see that the role of submitting is not being used by others, but it's a receptive response. Taking an initiation and using it to display the beauty that's been given to us. I think of... The picture of Christ and His church again in John fourteen twelve, And Jesus is telling His disciples that He's going to be on His way out soon. And He says to them, "...Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do." So Jesus lays this foundation with His life and His death and His resurrection. He purchased everything the church needs for forgiveness, And faithful obedience with the indwelling Spirit. He did all of this at one time as one man in one place in history. And then from then on, He sends out His bride into all the world to do greater things. He died on the cross in Jerusalem purchasing forgiveness for us. And He sends us to the ends of the earth to proclaim that forgiveness. He healed people, gave them hope, proclaimed good news to them in this one little country of Israel. And we get to bring hope and healing and joy to all the nations. And so a wife's submission is likewise a receptive response. She joyfully receives good things, simple things that her husband offers and initiates. And then she takes them in with joy. With delight, with thanksgiving, she makes them her own and expands them and adds emotional depth to them and flavor and diversity to them. So when your husband, your simple head, leads, don't mock his simplicity. Don't scoff at his desires and roll your eyes at his corny initiations. That's his role in marriage. To offer something good. And it's your role as a wife to take His simple leading and create something beautiful. To make it your own and offer it back and say, look what we made together. And in this, you can proclaim to the whole world without a world that Jesus' simple act of redemption on the cross releases us to a diverse experience of flourishing as the humanity we were created to be. I'm not calling us back to a 1950s cookie-cutter marriage lifestyle. There's no such thing as a cookie-cutter marriage where there's a set of roles that a wife has and there's a set of roles or tasks that a husband has. Just like the church is diverse all over the world, there's no one way to do church all over the world. You travel anywhere in the world and it's going to look a little different. But each one of them is beautifully submitting to Christ in a unique way. And so each one of our marriages is going to reflect that gentle, humble submission in a unique way. Now finally, let me finish with one last thought that applies to every single one of us. I hope you haven't checked out of this whole message if you're not a married woman, Joe. I've wanted to show you that it's the wife's role in marriage to show every single one of us what is required for everyone in the church. C.S. Lewis once wrote that God is so masculine in relation to us that we are all feminine in relation to Him. That is, God is the ultimate giver. Everything comes from Him. He's the decisive initiator. We wouldn't exist unless He chose to make us exist and to keep us existing. Every breath we take comes from Him. Every morsel of food we enjoy comes from Him. Every single pleasure was designed and given by Him. And we were made as humanity to receive everything He does with joy and thanksgiving. To make it our own. And turn it around, reflect it back to Him in the billions of ways that we are diverse. And wives model for every single one of us what we're all commanded to do in this relationship with God. So if we're honest, we all should admit that we don't submit as we ought to. How often do we demand that Jesus fulfill all of our own desires? How often do we get frustrated when we read a text like this or any other thing that Jesus commands us to be this way and we get frustrated and angry and bitter and annoyed say, I don't want to do that. Nobody should be hearing this message and in their mind thinking, oh, that other person. Yeah, they need to do a better job of submitting, I've noticed. No husbands in the room should be elbowing their wives making sure they pay attention to this submit passage a little bit better. The picture of wives voluntarily submitting to their husbands is ultimately supposed to remind every one of us of our responsibility to submit to Christ as Lord. To find safety in salvation that He provided on the cross to flourish under His provision that He gives to us by His Holy Spirit, that we may rejoice in all things, that we may exercise our gifts for building one another up. Wives have a wonderful opportunity to do that. And if you see someone who's not submitting as you think they ought to, whether it's a wife to her husband, a child to her parent, a citizen to his government, an employee to his supervisor. Don't be so quick to think he needs to do a better job of submitting. Let that remind you how often you yourself have failed to submit to Christ as Lord. But don't wallow there. Because the good news is that though we refused to submit, we shook our fists at Christ and said, I will not submit to you. He brought us in as his beloved pulled us close and helped us feel His love so that we can melt our hearts and voluntarily give ourselves to Him. Marriages provide for us all a drama which should both convict and inspire all of us to joyfully respond in humble submission to our loving Bridegroom, our Lord Jesus. So I invite you all now to bow your heads in submission to our Savior and pray with me. Father, You have handed over all authority to Jesus. And we have no idea what that means. And too often we say, I don't want it. My will be done, not Yours, Jesus. Soften our hearts, God, that we would delight in submitting to Jesus. And may these beautiful women among us here show us how hard our hearts are And help soften our hearts to make us more joyful in submission to Christ. God, I know that all week long I have failed to submit to Christ and as a result, failed to lead my wife well. Failed to lead my children well, well. Failed to even lead this church well. All because of my failure to submit to Your authority, God. Help us all to be much more gentle in spirit before Your law. And may it free us to delight in the humanity we were created to be. Bless us for the glory of our Savior, our loving Bridegroom, Jesus. Amen.